Good morning again, and I encourage you to have your Bible handy, just like last week we'll be in different parts of, of Scripture. If you're just tuning in, Proverbs 11.6 says, a gracious woman gets honor. And so, welcome to part three of God's design for manhood and womanhood. The, the particular focus of this sermon is God's design for women. So, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would have mercy on us, that you would enable us to have a focus upon your life-giving instruction without distraction. Father, I pray that you would take the truth of your word and cause it to go into the depths of our heart, that there would be conviction and transformation at the heart level, encouragement in the ways of the Lord, and that the, that the result would be greater fruitfulness to the glory of Christ. In His name we pray, amen. To, to be pleasing to the Lord means to be faithful in the place God has put you. And this is, this is true for, for both men and women. The, the nature of sin is to either be unfaithful in the place where God has put you or to abandon that place altogether. Everyone, man and woman, faces this temptation. God told Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. And Jonah rose and went in the opposite direction. He didn't go where God had told him to go and that didn't work out too well for Jonah. God authorized the priests to burn incense on the alt, uh, to burn incense on the altar of incense. King Uzziah was not a priest, but he grew proud, and in an act of unfaithfulness, he entered the temple and burned incense on the altar. He did not remain within his proper sphere, and in consequence, he was afflicted with leprosy until the day of his death. By contrast, the Apostle Paul sets a positive example for us. He said in Acts 20, 24, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It is one of the most freeing and liberating discoveries in the universe to realize my life is not about me. All that matters is finishing, that, finishing the course that the Lord has set before me. The only thing that matters is being faithful in the place where God has put me. I don't need to impress anyone. The one thing that counts is being pleasing to the Lord. And so what we've been seeking to understand from the Bible is that men have an assigned 
place and role, and women have an assigned place and role, and we we ought to strive to be faithful in that sphere and role, for it is part of the very good world that God created. Now, when it comes to the unpacking the role of, of women, sometimes Christians want to rush into a, a list of do's and don'ts, musts and must-nots, permissions and restrictions, and this can easily turn into a focus on the restrictions. And remember, that's one of the old ploys of the serpent. That's what he did in Genesis chapter 3. He wanted Eve to focus on the restriction, not on, not on the, the, the great freedom and opportunity that God had set before her to surely and freely eat from every tree in the garden, but the serpent wanted to focus on the one restriction, the singular no. And that, can, that, that mindset can continue to plague us today. A healthy human being honors God-given restrictions, but is not preoccupied with them. A, a, a healthy human being is preoccupied with the good way that the Lord has set before you, that that's what you ought to put your hand to and focus your life upon. So, so in this particular message, I don't want to focus on what you can't do, or on what's merely permissible. I want to, want to try to get more to the heart of God's vision and purpose for womanhood. So we're going to jump right in here. I've got five God-given design features for a woman's life. Once again, I'm, I am focusing primarily uh, on, on, the, on the idea that, that most women are married or will be married or have been married, fully recognizing that God calls some to a life of fruitful singleness, um, which can take a lot of different shapes. But 1 Corinthians 7, Paul highlights the, 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 the beautiful productivity that a, a, a single woman can have in a life devoted to Christ. But nevertheless, I'm focusing on this idea that, that most, most women are or will be married. Now, what I'm about to share, these five things, just like I said last week when I gave the men five exhortations, okay, these things are not complicated. I haven't, haven't made any great discoveries in the last week, okay? Uh, one, of, one, of my, one of my primary preparations for this sermon is the last 12 years of my life. As, as a husband, and then in due course as a father. The, 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 these, these things are not complicated, but they're not easily implemented because there are cultural pressures from the outside and there's, there's temptation, the, the inclination to sin coming up on the inside. And so we have to continually turn away from our sin and seek to follow the Lord's design. So, five five God-given design features for women. Number one, ladies and future ladies, God designed you to be a worshiper first. I said 
basically the same thing for the men last week. This is really important. As a, as a female image bearer of God, the first order of business is to be rightly related to the God whose image you bear. The woman had a relationship with the God who made her, as simple and as it was. She had a relationship with him before she had a relationship with the man. God brought her to the man, and thus she could have confidence that this was God's will for her life. Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31, tells us that a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3 tells us that the holy women of old in times past are those who hoped in God. And so listen, your man or the man you may one day find or soon be married to will never meet the deepest longings of your heart. Your children or the children that you may one day have will never satisfy your deepest hungers. Your diligent labors, if done in order to make yourself feel accepted and validated, will never be enough to silence the inward doubts. You are made for the Lord first and foremost. Remember Mary, the mother of Jesus, who, when receiving the word from the angel, said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Luke 1.38 Remember Mary of Bethany, who chose the better portion, the one necessary thing as she sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching. Luke 10.39 Remember Mary Magdalene who stood weeping outside the tomb because she thought that someone had taken her Lord away. But then she became the first human being to see the risen Lord. Women, the Lord calls you first and foremost to earnest, attentive, studious, thoughtful, and faithful discipleship. And uh, a word to husbands. Although you are called to imitate Christ in the way that you relate to your wife, you are not Christ. And you must always encourage and never hinder her from putting the Lord first. You want the Lord to hold first place in your wife's heart. If he doesn't hold first place in her heart, then everything else, everything else I'm going to say in the sermon will just be moralizing. What gives it power and beauty and grace is that you're, you're actually indwelt by the Holy Spirit and he's transforming your heart and life. Number, number two, ladies and future ladies, God designed you to be a helper, particularly in the context of marriage. It's very interesting to note how Genesis chapter 2 unfolds. 
the man has an orientation to the ground, right? There was no man to work the ground. And so the Lord made a man and put him in the garden to work the ground. The man has an orientation to the, to the ground, to the task. But then we see that the woman is oriented to the man. God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. And so he made the woman and brought her to the man. She, 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 her, her primary orientation is to be toward her husband. The cultural pressure for a woman to be independent of man or to not need a man or to prioritize having her own career over being a faithful wife are out of sync with God's design. God's will is marriage for the vast majority of human beings, and God's design in, in marriage is for the wife to have her life oriented toward her husband. And so you can think about this in a few different ways. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 and 20, the Lord calls the wife to be her husband's helper. In Titus chapter 2, verse 4, at the head of the list for young women, young wives, uh, Paul says that a, a wife is to love her husband. And then in Ephesians 5.24, the Lord directs wives to submit to their own husbands in everything. So God, God wants wives to be joyfully in step with their husbands at all times, helping him to fulfill the mission that God has placed on him as the head of the family. A godly, a godly wife does not seek to establish her own independent agenda apart from her husband, but rather, rather pursues an agenda that is in keeping with her husband's leadership. Now, I would say that a godly wife who knows and loves the Lord in her innermost being will delight to do this, but like all that God calls us still recovering sinners to do, it requires dying to self. We have, we have, to, we have, to, we have to die to the rule of sin and the desire to get our own way and selfish ambition in order to do things God's way. Now, another little uh, word here to the men. Okay, li listen. If a husband doesn't exercise leadership, doesn't cast vision, doesn't convey a sense of mission to his wife and family, then don't be surprised if you find your wife doing her own thing. I mean, she, she can't be in sync with your leadership if you're not leading. <laughs> so so learn, 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 learn to lead. But if, if he is leading, then the wife's responsibility is to follow. The humor, the humor of my big fat Greek wedding, notwithstanding, the wife is not the neck that turns the head wherever she wants. That's, that, it, you know, we laugh, and, but th that's, that's not God's design. Women, if your husband is leading, 
fight against the temptation to quarrel. Five Proverbs, at least five Proverbs, address this. One of them is Proverbs 19.13. A foolish son is ruined to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. It's annoying and it's not helpful. Also, fight against the temptation to, to do the Genesis 3 inversion all over again by putting the children first. How many, fa- how many families are upended and distorted because the children try to take the lead and mom lets the children take the lead and then manipulates dad to go along. And so you have kids, mom, dad. Complete opposite of God's design for your household. Those of you who remember Little House on the Prairie, my, my, my family has been watching that. We, we, we really enjoy it. It's wholesome. It's remarkable how much our society has, fall, has just devolved morally over the last 45 years. But if you remember anything from Little House on the Prairie, then uh, a great example of doing it the wrong way is the Olsen family. (laughs) Harriet, always usurping Nels, and often doing so because she's trying to please Nellie. Okay, that's, that's upside down. Okay? If you, if you, if you so love your husband that you consider it a high honor to be known as his wife and helper? It's satisfying to be known that way? Then you're on the right track. If, but if that makes you cringe and, you would, and you, would, you, would rather, you would rather be known as a independent, professional, accomplished woman, that, that's what you want to be known as, then you're on the wrong track. And the problem isn't the profession, the problem is the priority of, of being oriented toward your husband. Now, very briefly, this, this deserves more attention than I'm going to give it, but somebody asked a question. I invited questions, somebody asked a question. The question was, how does an unmarried woman live out the principle of male headship? How, how does an unmarried woman walk in submission? And that's a good question because the issue of male headship and the man-woman relationship is obviously most pointed and focused in marriage where the husband is the head of his wife. What does that look like for an unmarried woman? Well, all I'll say is this. It is, it is good and right for an unmarried woman to have men in her life who are looking out for her. Okay? Now, I, if, if her, her dad, her, her father, talking about an unmarried adult woman, uh, a good father will feel a sense of responsibility to look out for his daughter, as will her brothers and perhaps others within the body of Christ, the elders and other godly men. And I would just say, look for that. And welcome that and receive that. It's, 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 it's fitting in terms of how, how God designed the world for there to be some godly, responsible men who are looking out for your welfare. Number three, 
ladies and future ladies, God designed you to be a life giver, particularly a mother, right? bearing and bringing up children. This comes out really clearly in Genesis chapter 3, doesn't it? Where after God gave some judgments to the serpent, the woman, and the man, it says in Genesis 3.20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And even in Genesis 3.16, the, it's obvious that one of the woman's primary roles is the childbearing role. It says in Psalm 113 verse 9, that the Lord gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Remember Sarah and Rebecca and Hannah and Elizabeth. So, we can also learn something from female physiology. You know, every, everything that God has done, He does with intentionality in keeping with His overall design. It's not like He, he made male and female just the same, and He's like, oh, and we'll have her, you know, we'll have her carry, the, carry the, the babies. It's not like that. God has a, has a complete design package for the man and for the woman, and you, you just think about the reproductive capacity of a woman, and that she, she carries the unborn baby in her womb for often 40 weeks, and then nurses that little one for months, if not years. I mean, just think about what that teaches us about the Lord's design, that the Lord designed these little ones to be in you for a long time, and then to be on you and in your arms and with you for a long time. This, this, is, this, is, this is good. Um, this is at the heart of God's plan in Genesis 1.28 when God told the man and the woman to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And you're at, women, you're at the very heart of God's great dominion mandate. First uh, Timothy, a couple more passages I want to refer to. First uh, Timothy 5.14 says, I would have younger widows marry, bear children. And then in same chapter, 1 Timothy 5, verses 9 and 10, it's evident in verse 10 that one of the marks of a, of a godly wife and mother is that she has brought up children. And so, I want to I wanna, I wanna celebrate this role that God has given to women, the dignity and the sacrifice and the perseverance and the God-ordained value of mothering. And I, and I, was, I was thinking about uh, abortion. And I just saw, I, just, I was reading something the other day that the World Health Organization estimates that there are 40 to 50 million abortions every year that's in in the world that's staggering do you realize that that means that in a 20-year period there are 800 million to a billion abortions and men men have seen to it that this happens 
by judicial decisions, by totalitarian decrees, and by ordinary men being irresponsible and telling the girl to take care of it. But what I want you to understand is abortion at every level is an assault on God's design for the woman to be life giver, mother, nurturer, caretaker of her children. Number four, and, and by the way, number four is really coextensive with number two and three, and this is where the rubber meets the road. It's easy to give lip service to number, to number two and three about loving your husband and children. This is where the rubber meets the road, number four. Ladies and future ladies, God designed you to be a household manager. Proverbs 14.1 says that the wisest of women builds her house. It follows logically that if a, if a married woman's first priority under the Lord is her husband, and then her second priority is her children, then in order to flesh out those priorities, she will have to give much attention to the needs of the household. And yet, God's vision for the household goes way beyond your own immediate family and calls you to a wider ministry of blessing. And once again, if your understanding of the household is a glorified hotel, a safe and clean landing pad, then you're going to have a hard time really immersing yourself in this call. But if you understand that the home is supposed to be a center of productivity, the epicenter of loving relationships, a base of strategic ministry operations, then you'll have the right biblical vision in order to carry this out with your very best energies and competencies. The excellent wife of Proverbs 31 is oriented towards her household. Proverbs 31.15 says that she provides food for her household. Verse 21 says that all her household are clothed in scarlet. Verse 27 says that she looks well to the ways of her household. Titus chapter 2 verses 3 to 5 calls upon women to love, love, love the husband, love the children, pursue godly character, and work at home. And then 1 Timothy 5.14, the passage I just started to read a few minutes ago, where Paul encourages young, young widows to marry, to bear children, and to manage their households, to govern, to rule their households, not only for the benefit of their own immediate family, but also for the benefit of the wider community. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Maybe you were still there. I love 1 Timothy 5, 9, and 10 where Paul is describing what a woman's faithful life looks like. He says in verses 9 and 10, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. She's not, not, not giving herself to trivial pursuits. Her, her home has become a place of ministry, a 
a, a, a base of loving the wider community and her church family and missionaries and other people in her neighborhood. Proverbs 31.20 tell, uh, says that the excellent woman opens her hands to the poor. Um, I have this poem uh, written by Edgar Guest. It would be great to read it all, but I'm just going to read the first, the first stanza. Um, <laughs> you know, there, 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 there's so much brokenness in our world. And, and one of the greatest gifts we can give to our broken, alienated, depressed, and confused world is a godly, happy, productive home that is overflowing in blessing to the wider community. And I would say, among other things, we need more cookie ladies. You've got you to understand something. The value system of the world is an abomination in the sight of God. This doesn't sound sophisticated, but I'll tell you what. You know what the, you know what the problem is with our world? Nobody feels truly and genuinely loved. Do you want to do something about that? Try doing life God's way. Edgar Guest begins, She is gentle, kind, and fair, and there's silver in her hair. She has known the touch of sorrow, but the smile of her is sweet, and sometimes it seems to me that her mission is to be the gracious cookie lady to the youngsters of the street. How many youngsters lost, angry, unloved would benefit from that kind of ministry? The Bible, let's be clear, the Bible does not prohibit women from engaging in productive economic and commercial activity. But the Bible calls you to prioritize productive labor inside and through the home as an act of love to your relational network. You ladies are to be at the hub of households blessing the world through productivity, creativity, generosity. The, the moral and cultural chaos of our nation with all of these fractured relationships, all of the alienation, all of the bitterness, all of the psychological issues, all of the self-identity hang-ups is closely tied to the breakdown of the family. The, 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 the secular world does not value the family. They're actively working to undermine it. Abortion, redefinition of marriage, Encouraging women to believe the lie, to get outside of their proper role and calling, and to believe that you gotta, you got to get ahead in the eyes of the world. you got to climb the ladder. you got to prove yourself. You have to make your own way. You can do anything a man can do. You can have it all. You want it all? You go out in the world and try to get it all? Guess what? Moral and cultural train wreck in the younger generation. This has nothing to do with 
competence or skill. Women are remarkably competent, skillful, intelligent, and God would have you use your very best energy, effort, skill, competency, and creativity to build a home that blesses the world. The conclusion of Proverbs 31 says, verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Prioritize home life and do it God's way. The alternative is for homes to fracture. Briefly, number five, ladies and future ladies, God designed you to be mentors to the next generation of women. God calls all of us to be involved in many different aspects of disciple-making, to make new disciples, to make better disciples, to help one another grow in the ways of the Lord. But this, this call for the older women to mentor young women, and I would challenge some of you older women. I mean, this, this generation has been brought up and encouraged to embrace lies when it comes to womanhood and marriage and family. You have a wonderful opportunity to come alongside and encourage, share stories, tools, lessons, share encouragement with the young women. It says in Titus 2, verse 3, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be reviled. This is, this is very practical discipleship. Discipleship is supposed to be practical, isn't it, Pete? <laughs> Amen. Yes, it is. Practical, hands-on. A woman who has gained some traction in loving her husband and loving her children and, and being a manager of her household is in a wonderful position to encourage a younger woman, even a teenage girl, to grow into God's design for her life. Now, I want to work towards the, the final picture that I want to leave with you. And you can turn to Ephesians 5 so it's in your mind. It says in Ephesians 5, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you see what's going on there? Husbands are called to imitate the Lord in the way that they relate to their wives. And you've got to be all in because you are called to love her with a sacrificial love that 
is up to and including death, if necessary. You got to be all in. And, and, the, and the Lord calls the wife to imitate the church in its relationship to the Lord. And the Lord calls you to be all in, right? Wives should submit in everything, in everything, in everything to their husbands. So both the husband and wife are all in. The husband imitating the Lord and the wife imitating the church. And I want you to think about this. Husbands, you are called to imitate the ultimate husband. Wives, you are called to imitate the ultimate bride. And so the husband takes the lead, provides, directs, guards, sacrifices, and she receives her husband's leadership and submits to it, is grateful for it, keeps in step with it. And I want to ask you a few questions. I want you to take Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 with great earnestness and seriousness. The world doesn't love what I'm about to tell you, but God loves it, and He wants you to put His gospel on display. So here are these questions. Does a faithful church's life revolve around Christ? Does a faithful church's work revolve around Christ's mission? Does a faithful church put Christ's words into practice? Does a faithful church delight to visibly and publicly honor Christ? Yes. Does a faithful church pride herself in her own independence? Does a faithful church act independently of Christ? Does a faithful church boast in what she can accomplish without Christ? Does a faithful church try to carve out areas in her life that are outside of Christ's direction? No. Let the one who has ears to hear, hear and understand. Living this out is not like having a hundred pages of complex, detailed, and rigid rules. Okay? It's like, it's like a dance. A 24-7 dance in which the man delights to take the lead and the wife delights to keep in step and in which the wife delights to be seen as a woman who is in step with the man she loves. When an, when an excellent and gracious woman does this, Proverbs 12.4 12, says that she is the crown of her husband. She brings great honor to her husband. But, but it's not ultimately about her husband's honor. Okay? Her, the husband is to cherish and care for his wife. The wife is to honor and esteem her husband. And all of this is supposed to be telling the truth telling the truth about the gospel to the world, that Jesus is a great Savior who laid down His life for His bride, and the bride is grateful and beautified by it and loves to honor and esteem Christ. And so your marriage becomes a little picture, a little parable, a little preview of God's great, wonderful, saving message to the universe. It's worth giving your life to. Let's pray.
Father, I pray that, I pray that, I pray that men would know the heart of manhood. I pray that women would know the heart of womanhood. I pray that we would offer up our stewardship of these things to you for the glory of your Son. Father, I pray that you would build and sustain and strengthen godly and happy marriages and families that overflow with great blessing for our broken world. I pray that you would put the gospel on display through the marriages in this church family, that together we would honor and esteem our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.